So it's good to be here this morning. It's good to see y'all uh, for Sunday school. We're going to pick up where we started uh, last, uh, not last week, but two weeks ago. With we We're looking at um, counterfeits that as Christians we ought to be aware of. And, uh, and we'll do a little bit of review and then we'll, we'll pick up where we left off. But let's pray first. Father, thank you for allowing us to be in your house this morning. Thank you for a beautiful Lord's Day. We can come, we can enjoy it, and we can enjoy fellowship with other believers. Father, we can look into your word. We thank you for that freedom. We thank you for that desire because you've given us a desire to be here. There's any number of places where people can be on a day like this. Lord, you've given us a desire to come and to study your word together. And So we pray as we open it that you would open our hearts to receive it. We pray that you would instruct us from the scriptures. pray the Holy Spirit might move among us today and, and teach us the things we need to see. Uh, there are counterfeits that we as Christians should be aware of. And uh, we just pray, Lord, that you prepare us. Help us to recognize that which is wrong. Help us to recognize that which is right and cleave to it. So bless this time together now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> so we did. We talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, how we inhabit a world that's full of uh, counterfeits. And we talked about some of them. Some of them are humorous uh, to a certain extent. Uh, we, we live... But we know we live in a, in a culture where people claim to be something they're not. And we run into that all the time. In the business world, we run into it in, in stores, uh, people that we see in our neighborhoods. And uh, we, we've probably all known people who would try to, to convince us that, that maybe they were wealthy or they were smarter than they really were. And you know, um, I believe it may have been um, Abraham Lincoln that said it's, it's better to remain... Uh, silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Well, some people, they may try to convince you of how smart they are, but when they open their mouth, you realize, okay, the cat's out of the bag at that point, right? We live in a world where religions advertise and, and they offer us, they tell us that there are many ways to God. And what Scripture tells us, there's only one. They're counterfeits. They're giving us uh, teachings that, that are just wrong. We live in a world where preachers will allege sometimes to have some kind of miraculous power, healing powers. We've, we've heard of those, and I think I may have shared that uh, my grandma on my mother's side, she, she really believed in some of those TV preachers. If you sent them money and, and that sort of thing, they'd send you a handkerchief that they had blessed, and that would be a blessing in your life. And, and that's just really sad when you see people that are taken advantage of that way. We live in a, in a world where the, there are products that are designed to alter our appearance so we look like something we're not. Whether it's makeup or uh, it could be plastic surgery, it could be special shoes that make us look taller, uh, jackets with padding in the shoulders that make us look more powerful or whatever. We live in a world like that and, and we live in a world that it's sad that when the Holy Spirit brings people under conviction of sin, we live in a world where doctors will give them medicines to help them cope with that guilt instead of dealing with the sin problem and coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we live in a world where there's all these counterfeit things and we have to be aware of them as Christians because if we're not, we could be taken in too. And the, the, the first two that we talked about last week, uh, we talked about false Christs. Jesus told His disciples, he, he said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And he went on, this was in Matthew 24, and he went on and later in that chapter to say, There shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect, the very ones who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, and have been born into the family of God. 
Paul says even they could almost be deceived by these people if if they're not careful. We could be deceived if we're not careful. And so we talked about what is the remedy? We need to know what Scripture teaches about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we'll recognize Him as the true Messiah, isn't it? Uh, as our true Savior. And then if someone comes along and says, oh, I'm, I'm Christ, I've been resurrected, and, and I'm here to, to, to lead you away, we'll say, no, that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says very clearly how the Lord Jesus Christ will return someday. And you didn't come that way, so you can't be Him. And so we can learn as we study the Scriptures. The second uh, counterfeit that we talked about being aware of was false ministers. That could be pastors, deacons, elders in a church. Uh, there can be people who, who reach a point in a church where they're leading that congregation in the wrong direction. And definitely, you don't want to be a part of that congregation, do you? You don't want to be someone who's following uh, a false minister. Paul said, uh, he talked to the, uh, or wrote to the Corinthian church, he said, uh, describing them, such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. They come along and they transform themselves. And so they're saying, I have this authority of an apostle. That's what was going on in Paul's day. And he said, no, 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 no. There's only a few who are apostles. They're appointed by Christ. There are only a, a, a relatively few number of people that God calls to put in those positions of leadership, spiritual leadership. Not everyone's called to that, are we? Uh, and so you don't want to be following someone that the Lord hasn't called into that position because they can mislead you. And people can be fooled. And we talked about the, the, the best remedy for that is to know what Scripture says about spiritual leaders. And we read those passages in uh, second or 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 about what the qualifications of a pastor or a deacon or an elder in a church, what those are. If we study those, then we don't, we don't find ourselves being led astray by people uh, who shouldn't be in those roles. So those were the two, uh, the first two counterfeits. A third counterfeit that we ought to be aware of as Christians is simply false Christians. People who say that they are believers, they say they've been saved, and they come alongside us, but they, they really aren't. They, they haven't been saved. They, they haven't put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not a part of His family. And yet, in some cases... It could be people who don't realize. Maybe they heard the wrong doctrine. Maybe they came forward in a, in a, at an invitation and they signed a card and they put in a date of, I, I, I recited these words on this day and therefore I'm saved. And we've probably, maybe all of us have seen people like that or heard people talk about it. And if you're, if you're witnessing to them and, and say, have you, have you ever trusted Christ? Yeah, I went forward back in 19-whatever. And I've got it. I've got a certificate here where I got baptized. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm a member of the church. Uh, it may be someone who never darkens the door of a church. You never see them. And yet they'll tell you, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. Or you may hear people say that um, I was born a Christian. Uh, that's contrary to Scripture, isn't it? When no one, God doesn't have grandchildren. Uh, you're not a Christian because your parents are Christians. You have to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there could be people who honestly... And for some reason or another, because of false teaching, believe they're Christians. But what this is really talking about, I think, is people who, they know good and well they're not Christians, but they come along into a church and they try to to get some kind of a false teaching going on. And Paul speaks to to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 2 about these people. He speaks of, uh, in in Galatians 2 verse 4, 
He speaks of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. I like the way he says that. It's a, uh, Paul had a really good way with words. He's very well educated. He had a, an incredible vocabulary. And so he was able to, to put things in, 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 in terms that make sense to us. False brethren, unawares brought in. Basically, he says, these are men that have been smuggled into the church. The devil has, has carefully, craftily brought these people into the church, is what Paul is telling uh, the Galatians. And what he's talking about specifically there was, I think, Judaizers, people who came in of the Jewish faith, who came into the church and said, um, yeah, we understand about this, this belief in Jesus Christ, and, and yeah, that's a good thing, but we've got to keep the law too, because we've got to be good enough, or God's never going to save us. That's an insidious doctrine, isn't it? When you start telling people that, well, you've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and you may start with the Ten Commandments, but we know the Jews had gone far, much farther than that. The Pharisees and the, uh, the, the, the religious leaders, they had they brought in all kinds of other rules, just silly rules that they had to uh, obey, uh, even to the point of how many steps you could take on a Sabbath day. And if you went farther than that, you were working on the Sabbath, uh, regardless of why you had to take those steps. Maybe you were running to, to get a toddler that was about to run out in front of something. I don't know. It, whatever it might be, they had these rules in there, and they said you've got to follow those. Well, Paul's saying some people are coming in, and we as Christians recognize we have a certain amount of liberty. We've been saved, we've been bought with, with an awful price of the, of the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we're not bound by the law to, this, to the point of if we sin, we've lost our salvation because our salvation is real, our salvation is permanent. Yeah, we want to obey the law of God. We want to obey the Scriptures. But we want to do it because we love the Lord, not because we're afraid we're going to lose our salvation if we don't. But these people would come along and give the impression that if you don't keep every little piece of that law, every little piece of that Jewish tradition, then you're going to lose your salvation. He said they're false brethren they're brought, that are brought in unawares. Satan sows these false brethren. That's Satan. That's his purpose. He wants to get people into a church that will that will teach these kind of false doctrines. That you've got to you've got to go back and keep the law. But there, there's more than that. Paul, Paul was specifically talking about that. But there could be other things that people come along into a church and try to get us to to accept certain things that we we've got no business accepting. And he says that they've been smuggled in. The goals uh, that Satan might have for bringing these uh, false brethren. We can imagine, uh, certainly he would like to disrupt our worship, wouldn't he? To have people come in and uh, when, when a body of believers gets together and they want to sing songs that glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, songs that worship the Lord, maybe there are people who come along and say, well, let's, let's sing songs that just talk about us and talk about how good we are and how good our testimony is. And let's sing songs that, that just want to pump us up and make us feel good about ourselves. Is that really the purpose of our songs when we come to church? Our songs ought to be to worship the Lord. Uh, it's been said that there's... The, uh, well, it's, it's said uh, Paul in, in the epistles talks about um, uh, speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms, we know what they are. It's the, the, the psalms. They're in the book of Psalms. Those are, those are the Word of God that we sing those. 
hymns, it's been said that, that one of the best definitions of a hymn is a song that you are singing to God. You are singing His praises. And you are worshiping Him with those words. And then spiritual songs. Are those songs that might build us up in the faith. They may have bits of Scripture in the, in the words to them. Then there are other songs that we might call songs of testimony that might talk about the, the work that God has done in our own lives. But what if we've got people that just come in and all they want to do is bring in music that just makes them feel good? I said this one time. I was teaching Sunday school one time and I did this. I said, uh, if there's a song in your church that just makes you want to do this right here and tap your feet, you may want to think about that, that song because it's leading your, your mind in the wrong place. Someone chastised me after that because she liked her music that made her want to tap her feet. But seriously, if that's all the music that in a church is, supposed, is doing is making us want to get up and dance a little bit or move or, or tap our feet, maybe there's something wrong with that because our music should be to glorify God and Him alone. So there can be people that, that uh, come into a church. Satan would have people come in and disrupt our worship that way or do anything that would distract us from uh, the, putting our attention on the Lord as well. It doesn't have to be music. Uh, they would also, Satan would love to have people that would come in and disrupt a, our service, wouldn't he? Our service to the Lord. When we come here, um, we should be offering not just money and the offering. We should be offering ourselves, shouldn't we? Our time, our talents, whatever they might be. Some people are far more talented than, than others. Some of you are far more talented than I am. And I recognize that. But whatever talents I have, I need to be offering those to God. And some people's talents are, are, are musically inclined. Some people are, are eloquent speakers. Some people are good at swinging a hammer, pushing a broom. Whatever our skills are, we offer those to the Lord as our service. And yet, there might be people that Satan would bring among us who would try to uh, dissuade people from, from serving the Lord or get them to uh, have an attitude of we're here to be served, not to serve other people. And that certainly would, would disrupt the worship and service of the Lord, wouldn't it? So Satan would love to have those, uh, have people come in and do that. Excuse me, Satan would also like to sow false brethren that would corrupt our doctrine. They would have us believing things that the Scriptures don't teach. That would uh, have us believe things. Well, yeah, the Bible teaches that, but um, that was only written to the Galatians, or that was only written to the Colossians. It really doesn't apply to us. And we know that's false, don't we? Because what does the Scripture say? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. All Scripture is given for those things. And so, uh, for someone to say, well, that doesn't apply to us, oh, it certainly does. Every bit of it applies to us. And so, uh, Satan would love to have people that would come in and corrupt our doctrine. And as Paul said there in Galatians 2, he would love to have people to come in and make us see that we, we don't really have the liberty that we think we do in the Lord. We, we have to be bound by the, the Ten Commandments and by these other uh, things. And so, they, they corrupt the doctrine of the church. They can do that, and Satan would love to have them do it. Satan would love as a goal to put, have false believers or false Christians, false professors of, of Christianity, to come in if they could snatch souls right out of the hands of a loving Savior if they could. They would have people come in and, and so disrupt a service 
that the Holy Spirit might be speaking to a lost sinner and they can do something that would get that draw that person's attention completely away. That can happen. Or they can do something to so disrupt the church service that the Holy Spirit, as it were, withdraws. You know, the Scripture tells us to quench not the Spirit in working in our lives. That means that it is possible for a church to quench the working of the Holy Spirit. And we need to be very cautious of that. But Satan would love to put people in our churches that would cause that kind of disruption, wouldn't he? Problem is, um, we, we, we might think, well, let's just get those people out. Let's just, if, if a false Christian comes into our church, let's just weed them out. We'll, we'll tell them, you need to leave, there's a door. Trouble is, we can't always distinguish between the, the fakes and the real Christians, can we? We talked about this um, several weeks ago. We looked at this passage. Matthew chapter 13. It's the parable of the sower. That's what we refer to it as. I'll read these verses again. Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 24. We read, uh, Another parable put he forth, that is Jesus, put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Tares is a, it's a plant, it's kind of a weed plant. Uh, when it's growing very young, it looks a lot like wheat. It's hard to tell the difference. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. Verse 26, But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together till the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. He said, don't, don't go out there rashly trying to pick them up, because right now you won't be able to tell the difference, and you'll be able to pull up the wheat with the tares. Uh, the tares, as I said, it's a plant. It looks a lot, it's a weed or a grass maybe. Uh, from what I'm told, it's poisonous to humans. Animals can eat it and it's okay. And so he talks about here that they'd be, um, they'd gather them up, they'd bundle them up, throw them in the fire, use them, I guess, for heat or cooking or something like that. I'm told that nowadays that people may bundle them up and give them to the hogs or to some animals to eat. But the point is, they're not good for human consumption. So this farmer had no need for them. But he said, you may not be able to recognize them. Look over at verse 37. He starts to explain this parable. And he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. That is the, the Lord Jesus Himself. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. That is, those who have been saved. They are, they are the good seed. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. Again, Satan bringing these people in, as Paul said, false brethren unawares brought in and sowed in the field, in the church. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels. They shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and them which do iniquity shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. What he's saying is the good seed, that's the true children of the kingdom. That is Christians. When, we, when we're sitting in a church, 
The wheat would be those who are born again. The tares would be those false professors, those people that Satan brings in maybe to uh, cause trouble. They're the tares. But we have to heed that warning in verse 29. Nay, while, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up the wheat with them. They look... Uh, the, the trouble is we're not qualified to identify which is the right and which is the wrong. Now we can tell to a certain extent if someone's a, a born-again believer because they'll have the fruit of the Spirit in their life, won't they? And we see that in Galatians. Also in Galatians chapter 5, uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And if we don't see the fruit of the Spirit in someone's life, there's a good chance that that person is not a Christian. But it's not necessarily a false brethren that Satan has brought in to cause trouble. It could just be someone who's not been saved yet. And so we don't want to go in there and try to start pulling people aside, do we? The problem for us is some of the tares look too much like real Christians. And so we might leave them there. We might not realize what they are and we might leave them. A bigger problem is some genuine Christians look a little too much like tares, don't they? Because even Christians can get a little too close to the world and they can start wanting themselves to bring in maybe music that doesn't honor the Lord or practices that don't honor the Lord. Maybe themselves, uh, actual true believers, might begin to look at Scripture and say, well, I'm not sure that verse applies to us in our day. Maybe, maybe this other doctrine that someone's been sharing, maybe that's the right thing. So we, we can't go in and start separating. So what's the remedy then? If there are false Christians around us, the remedy is we trust the Lord to identify who they are, to sort out the real from the counterfeit, to sort out the wheat from the tares. He will do it, and He will do it well. And He will instruct the reapers at the end day, that's the wheat, that's the tares. Separate accordingly. And it will be done perfectly, won't it? So we need to, we need to trust the Lord to take care of it, and we need to make sure that we don't follow any false teaching or any false lifestyles. How do we know what they are? We've got the textbook right in front of us. We study the Scriptures. Then we know what the true doctrine is. Then we know what Christian behavior ought to look like and we won't follow the, the, false, uh, the false believers or the false Christians, false professors. So false Christians is the third thing we need. Counterfeit we need to be aware of. A fourth one, we need to be uh, beware of false religious teachers. Now we talked about false leaders False Christs first, and then false leaders, pastors, elders, deacons, that sort of thing. But false teachers is a little bit different. If you want to, you're in the New Testament, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. I want to read something that's very familiar to us. Second Peter 1. This is talking to us about the uh, Scriptures themselves. And we talked about this a little bit a few weeks ago also. I'm going to start reading in uh, verse 21. And we're going to, down, going to go down through chapter 2, the second verse. 1 Peter 1.21 For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Verse two, uh, Chapter 2, verse 1 But there were false, uh, false prophets also among the people even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Verse 2, And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Paul's talking about, or Peter's talking about false uh, teachers here. 
And we look at that, he's reminding them the scriptures were given to us, not by the will of man. Men didn't just make this stuff up. He says the scriptures were given to us by holy men of God in the old times. Men that God moved on. Men that God gave the the words that he should write. And we talked about that when we were talking about the infallibility of scripture and the inspiration of scripture, the inerrancy of scripture. We talked about that, didn't we? How God gave the message. And it was given through these holy men of God. But he says in verse 2, or in chapter 2 and verse 1, he said, but even in those days when God was working among those people, there were also false prophets. There were also people who were saying, this is the word of God when this wasn't the word of God. And we can be very thankful that the Lord um, gave wisdom to godly people in generations long before we got here to collect what we refer to as the canon of Scripture. The, the, the Word of God, the Bible, is complete. And it did not include the words of those false prophets. It didn't include the false doctrines. It didn't include uh, the things that, that would go against the Word of God. But Peter says, but there were false prophets in those days that God spared us from. And then he says, he warned that uh, they'll always be among us. Look in uh, chapter 2 and verse 1. He said that uh, there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. He says they're going to be there. They're here now. They're going to be in every generation. And he says they're going to bring about what he referred to as damnable heresies. We like to think sometimes of Peter as being an ignorant fisherman. But he knew well how to get his point across, didn't he? That's pretty pretty, uh, forceful words there. They're bringing, they're introducing damnable heresies. They're, he said in verse uh, 1 also, they're, they're even at, some, at times denying the Lord that bought them, the Lord that paid the price for our sins. There are men who are going to come along, they're going to be false teachers, and they're going to even deny the work that the Lord Jesus did for us. And he's, he's warning um, the people that he's writing to, beware for these false teachers. Recognize that just because someone comes in the door and says, I'm here, and... Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ sent me and I've got a message for you, that doesn't mean you can, you can take everything they say at face value. You've got to be aware of, of the false teachers. Uh, so Peter's giving that warning. And then I think maybe the scariest part of what we just read is what we see there in chapter uh, 2 and verse 2. He said, yeah, there's going to be false teachers coming, but then he says, many shall follow their pernicious ways. Many. Isn't that scary? Not, that there are going to be in every generation, it's like Peter is saying, every generation is going to come and there's going to be these false teachers and there are going to be many people who don't know the Word of God well enough and they'll believe them, they'll trust them, and they'll follow their pernicious ways. The term pernicious, it just means wicked. It means evil, something that does damage. Damnable heresies is what he calls it. That, that people are going to come along and they're going to believe that. So our job, I think... Remember the old Mission Impossible thing. Your, your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to make sure that uh, there is sound biblical teaching in our lives, in our churches. Um, when, when uh, Whether it's this church or any church that we might be a part of, we want to make sure that the Word of God is being taught accurately, don't we? And if, if someone's veering away from it, that should start, we should know the scriptures well enough that if someone starts false teaching, it ought to set off alarms. And you may not always know 
What's wrong with it? Have you ever had that happen? You, you're sitting somewhere and you're hearing, and it doesn't have to be the scriptures. It could be someone teaching you anything. And they, they veer off course into something that's wrong. And maybe you can't quite put a picture, a, a finger on what's wrong, but the alarm's going off and you're like, Some, uh, that's not right. And when that begins to happen in scripture, and it begins to happen multiple times, then you begin to think, ah, oh, there's something wrong with that. And there, we may have a false teacher here in, in our midst. And so we've got to be sure in church that that happens. But it could be at work. Now, I think I'm the only one that still has a job that, that I go to every day so far right, right in, this, in, in this room right now. But uh, I've been a part of uh, conversations at work where, and you may have as well, where people would be talking about something related to Scripture. Or maybe a Bible study when a group of people get together. And, and it can veer off into to error sometimes. Well, if we're part of that discussion, we need to be sure that we bring it back and say, that's not what the Word of God says. Uh, the Apostle Peter says this, or, or uh, Moses said this in the book of Deuteronomy, or, or what have you, whatever it might be. So we, we have a responsibility as Christians, as we understand the Scriptures, and as the Lord teaches us, we have a responsibility to make sure other people uh, know the truth as well. And at home, certainly. If we're discussing the Scriptures at our home with each other or with other family members, and we recognize that people have a wrong understanding of a passage of Scripture, we need to try and correct that. And if there's a disagreement over it, um, like, well, I, I think it says this, well, I think it says this, well, then go to the Scriptures and let the Scripture itself settle the argument. Or seek people who understand it better than we do. I think we all know people who understand the Scripture better than we do, right? And we have access to that. We have commentaries that we can rely on. Uh, there's, there's so many resources that we have. We just need to make sure that the, the Word of God that is being discussed uh, in, in our homes is accurate. In our neighborhoods, again, and just in conversations with people, we have that responsibility. There's an old, um, it's not an old, but it's a, there's a saying. Um, I, I grew up like Kevin, you you and I are about the same age. We grew up in the in the days of the space age. I don't know if you were enamored with it as much as I was, but anything that had to do with rockets, anything that had to do with going to the moon, I was all over it as a kid. And and I watched the Apollo uh, space program for the, the the Mercury portion of it, the Gemini portion of it, and the Apollo program where they were actually going to the moon. They'd done all the prep work, and. We're, maybe you remember as well as I do, Apollo 13, a jinxed mission if there ever was one. And some of us who, who still retain some level of superstition would say, why did they even name a mission Apollo 13? Why not skip 13? But they started it at a, at a time that had 13 in it. It was like they were thumbing their noses at the old superstitions. We know what we're doing. Nothing's going to go wrong. It wasn't long into that mission uh, after they left the Earth orbit, that there was an explosion on that spacecraft, and most of their oxygen was vented out into space. And immediately, three astronauts, uh, Jim Irwin and Fred Hayes and Rusty Schweikert, found themselves wondering if they were going to get back to their families and their homes, uh, because they were, they were very genuinely at risk. Well, there was a man, you may have heard his name, Gene Krantz, he was a flight director for much of the Apollo program. He gathered together the, the most brilliant minds he had, and he brought, took them into a room, and as the story goes, he explained to them what the situation was. They already knew much of it, and he said, we've got to figure out how to get those men back 
That's the mission now. The mission is not to go to the moon. It's not to practice anything else. It's to get those men back safely. And his words were something like this. We have, we've never lost a man in space, and we're not going to do it on my watch. And then he coined this phrase that you probably heard. Failure is not an option. I like those words. And the reason I go through that explanation is when it comes to making sure that false teachers are not putting false doctrine into our churches, our homes, our neighborhoods, our schools, into the, the ears of our children, grandchildren, or whatever, failure is not an option for us. We've got to be sure that the, the truth of the Scripture goes out. And if we hear that there's error going out, we need, we need to step up and say, oh, that, we can't keep doing that. We've got to correct it, don't we? Because the Lord lays that responsibility on us. What's the remedy then for false teachers? I think the, the best way to, to think of it is we need to be like the Bereans that we read about in Acts chapter uh, 17. Paul uh, was uh, speaking of the Bereans. He said this, they received the word, or actually Paul's not writing this, the, uh, Luke was writing these words in Acts 17. Uh, verse 11, he said, they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. That's the way the Bereans approached uh, Paul's preaching when he was among them and anyone else who came and preached. Well, they listened to what they said and then they, they searched the Scriptures to see if it agreed. That's not a bad thing, is it? When, when you hear a passage of Scripture preached, it's never a bad thing to go back after the service and look at that passage again and say, I want to see this. Um, any Bible teacher should have as a goal that when, when they present a portion of Scripture that anyone listening would say, I want, to, I want to dig deeper. I want to read that again. I want to, I want to see what else is there. Uh, because there's no way you can cover everything. And, and whether it's a Sunday school lesson or a sermon or whatever, we as Christians, we ought to have that, that curiosity and want to go and, and look. Well, that's what the Bereans did. Not just so that they could get more information, but to make sure they were telling the truth and that they weren't, uh, these teachers weren't uh, taking them uh, where they didn't need to go. The only way to do that is for us to know the Scriptures, isn't it? We have to read it. We have to study it ourselves. And, and I would encourage any Christian, if you've never done it, read the entire Bible. I, I, and I, you probably heard me say this before. Uh, when, when I was a kid, the Bible that we had in our house was that thick and that big and that big and sat on a coffee table. And I would look at that thing, and some, if someone had told me, well, read the whole Bible, I would have looked at that thing, ah, there's not enough days left in my life to do that. And yet, when I, as a teenager, when I started going to church, I had a pastor, Brother Dale, who, who was the first person to explain to me that you could read the whole Bible through in one year. If you didn't do anything but read three chapters a day and five on Sunday, you could get through the whole Bible in a year. I, that, that just bumfuddled me. I thought, how in the world could you do that? But I started. And sure enough, I got through the Bible in a year. And the next year I wanted to do it again. And I think we ought to do that because that teaches us what the Word of God says. And the more often we read it, the better equipped we'll be to recognize if someone is teaching us something that's false. We'll be able to recognize the counterfeits. So, uh, fourth thing that we need to, to be aware of as Christians is false religious teachers. A fifth thing is, and it's sort of in the same uh, line, a little different, is false prophets. 1 John chapter 4, we're in the New Testament, only turn over a few pages and we'll be there. 1 John 4, 
the Apostle John says this, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Basically, I think what John is saying here is don't believe everything you hear. There are false prophets who are going out and they're, um, they're, um, they're coming to people with uh, this, this idea that I have a fresh revelation from God. A false teacher is going to, to go into the Scriptures and teach you something that the Scriptures don't teach. That's what a teacher does. They give you other. They give you information that already exists. That's what a preacher does. He preaches the word of God. A prophet, on the other hand, um, is someone who gives you a message directly from God, aren't they? That's what the Old Testament prophets did. There are people in our day who still go around and say, "I've got this new inspiration." I was in a church one time. But back in the days when, at the end of the church service. Uh, the preacher stood at the front door and everyone filed past him and shook their hand on the way out. You remember those days? And I was, I was standing there and this guy came and he wasn't someone who came to church often. He had this wild look in his eyes and he, he told the preacher, he said, the Lord has shown me something new. You want to, you want to know what it is? And he was all excited about this new uh, whatever, this new message he got. We've got to be careful about that because the Scriptures teach us that they're over. They're, they're, it's closed. The, the canon of Scripture is closed. There's no new inspiration coming to people. The Lord will show us things as we read through it, but He's not giving men new messages that need to be added that, these days. But there are false prophets who come along and they say, I've got this fresh revelation from God and I'm going to share it with you. And it's going to revolutionize your life. Their purpose is they try to lure people away sometimes from the Lord Jesus Christ with some new doctrine. And they may, tell, they may say things like, well, Jesus Christ, uh, He was a good prophet. He was a good man. But, but He wasn't the Son of God. If Jesus Christ came among us and he, or among His disciples and said, I'm the Son of God, and He wasn't the Son of God, that doesn't make Him a good man, does it? It makes Him... If, if He said He was the Son of God and He knew that He wasn't the Son of God, that makes Him a liar. Well, he's not a good man. You don't follow those people. If he said he was the Son of God, but he didn't realize that he wasn't the Son of God, then he's deranged. And you don't want to follow that person either. So you can't just say that Jesus was a good teacher and we should follow him if you don't believe what he said about himself. But that's what these false prophets do. They try to lure people away from him. They try to dilute the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Word of God with their new teachings. And so we've got to be careful with them. Uh, basically, I read this, I think, somewhere. These, these don't sound like my words in my notes here. They, they try to substitute counterfeit trinkets for God's actual treasures. There's a big difference between a trinket and a treasure, isn't there? A trinket may shine. It may be beautiful. Oh, look at that. It gleams when I hold it up into the light. But God's treasures do more than just gleam, don't they? They, they give us something for our souls. They feed us. And so we can have these false prophets come among us and we need to be very careful with them. But how do we recognize them? Well, uh, 1 John verse 4 tells us to beware of them. Look in verses 2 and 3. He says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you've heard that it should come and even now already is in the world. How do we recognize them? 
any prophet that comes along and confesses that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He came in the flesh, that He died for us, He lived a sinless life, He died for us, He rose from the dead, and now He's now ascended to God the Father. You can trust that prophet, can't you, or that person, that preacher. But anyone who comes and denies and doesn't confess that Jesus came that way, we don't trust that person because they, 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 they're not from God. So how, well, what's the remedy for avoiding false prophets and, and avoiding that counterfeit? Well, this is very simple. We determine that person's position related to the Lord Jesus Christ, don't we? If they follow Him, then maybe we follow them. If they do not follow the Lord Jesus Christ, if they do not exalt Him as the Son of God, we want nothing to do with that person because they are a false prophet. They're a false teacher. And they can lead us very much astray. So we're going to have to stop there, I think. So we've talked about so far um, counterfeits to avoid false um, Christs, false Christians, false uh, religious leaders, false uh, religious teachers, false prophets. And there's a, there's a few others that Lord willing we'll get to later. So let's pray. Father, we thank You uh, for allowing us to look into Your Word. Lord, we know there are counterfeits among us. Your Word warns us about them. And we pray that you'd give us wisdom to, uh, to recognize them. Lord, you've not told us to go through our churches and start weeding things out or weeding people out and throwing people aside, but you have told us to be cautious. You've told us to study your word, to know what it has to say. And we want to be like the Bereans, Father, who, who sought the Scriptures. They searched the Scriptures daily uh, to make sure that uh, what their preachers were telling them were true. We pray, Lord, uh, as we are bombarded in our society by... Uh, uh, preaching and teaching on the radio. We see it in print. We see it on uh, uh, TV. Uh, we see it in churches and uh, different uh, religious services. Father, we're bombarded by teaching. We just pray that, Lord, you'd help us to recognize what is in alignment with Scripture and to hold dearly to that. And then if those things that reach our ears that are not aligned with Scripture, Father, we pray that you protect us from those. You protect us from false teachers, false uh, religions, false Christs. Help us to recognize what is genuine. Help us to, uh, Father, study your word such that we would understand it. We pray now as uh, we uh, prepare to go into the 11 o'clock service that you'd be with us. We pray that, Lord, you would uh, speak to our hearts as your word is uh, as you're opened before us. Bring those who need to be here today, Father, and speak to each of us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.